you know, today we're going to talk about Jesus in a story that involves kids. And my wife and I have a kid, and I can say this, I'm, so I'm speaking from credibility, and I would say that um, my wife will say that dad helps our child to have fun, and mom keeps the child alive. And, you know, I don't know how, and I love my child, I'm really excited that I have the one child, and, um, and you know, it's really, it's been really fun, children are a blessing, and, uh, you know, but I gotta tell you, I, I actually have a hard time connecting with other people's children. Uh, if you have children, maybe you like your own kids, but you don't like other people's kids, that's not me, that's not what I said, I'm just saying. I like my kid a lot. And I just think I have a hard time being interested in other people's kids. And I think that's my problem. It's not, you know, it, it's a lot of, you know, um, all the things. So, I mean, for instance, like if I ask a child, you know, that's not my own, like, hey, what do you think about, you know, the idea of geographical sorting that Bill Bishop talks about in the book, The Big Sort, and like how people are uh, separating themselves ideologically and geographical conclaves, I just find that their answer is very lacking. <laughs> I don't find that they give me, and maybe that's my fault for asking that, or, uh, you know, if I ask your child, you know, what are their thoughts on late-stage capitalism and the impact that, happen, uh, that has on monocultural uh, societies that uh, mostly have a, a more religion-centered, like, you know, what's gonna, who's going to change you? You know, is it the religion that will change to reflect free market? And, you know, they just drool and look at me, and I, and I feel that they're not listening to me. And so, you know, um, those are the two jokes I have. So anyway, I, I'm joking. I think the kids are precious. They're so precious. They're a blessing. But the truth is, is that I don't naturally gravitate towards other people's kids. I don't. And throughout human history, you know, um, this has been the case. This is the truth. Um, throughout human history, children, especially young girls, have been some of the most marginalized people in society and in cultures and they're kind of considered worthless until they can actually provide worth. And maybe they're valuable and that one day they will be valuable, but it doesn't mean that their thoughts and their opinions and their ideas matter right now when they're children. And a lot of marginalization, it actually happens simply because the strong are stronger than the weak. And in this case, parents and adults are physically stronger, emotionally stronger, maybe not some parents, but many parents are emotionally stronger, mentally so they can, they can hold a conversation and an argument. They're stronger. Adults are stronger than children. And adults generally have the power, so adults set the agenda. And the adults decide what's valuable. And now last week, we started this teaching series called What is God Like?, and we've been exploring what the God of the Bible is like, what he does, what he actually thinks about us, who he's for, and all those things. And now back in the time of Jesus, and we're talking about what God likes, we understand that children were loved and were also marginalized. But ironically, the story we're going to look at today, Jesus actually uses an illustration with children that shows us what God is like. And so I want you to dive into this world of children for just a minute with me because it gives us a picture of what our faith could be 
And it's obviously uh, a lot simpler than maybe we originally thought it was. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, or if you don't have a phone that has a Bible app on it, there's one of the 16 pieces of paper you received on your way in. There's, on the back of it, you're going to see some announcements like, hey, come to this thing, or come to that thing, or make sure you give. Or, and on the back of that, you're going to find some verses, and you can follow along with those verses. So it should say Matthew 18, right? Do you find that? Okay, cool. Phew. All right, well, let's pray right now. Let's invite God's presence. He's already here. He's already with us. He's already doing stuff in the field. But let's, let's welcome him, see what happens. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to be with us. And God, uh, we want you to speak to us. We want to know what you're like. We want to know what being involved with you means in a deeper way, God. And some of us have faith. We've had faith for a while, God, and so I ask that you would press in, that you would show us something new about yourself. Show us how we're supposed to join up with you. God, if we need to align, if we need to obey, I ask that you would begin to show us what to do. So help me to speak as I should. Put power on this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in Matthew 18, we get this picture of Jesus with kids. Let's read it. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Let's pause there. The word assumption comes to mind. There's three assumptions that the disciples make. And we all know what happens when we assume. Assumption number one. What do you think it is? Don't answer. I'm going to tell you. Assumption number one. The disciples believed that there was a spiritual kingdom and that there is a future beyond this life. Okay, so that's what you see. If you look at these verses, you see that they believe there's a spiritual kingdom and something happens when we die. We just don't go into the grave forever. And they believe that in this future kingdom, this future system, there was a ranking system where some people were higher on the list and some people were in the middle, and then there were some that were on the bottom of the list. Now, if you know anything about these disciples, these were rabbinic students, rabbis, students of rabbis, and these were not ordinary Jewish men. They were also not traditional students. These disciples, these 12 people that were sitting around when Jesus says these things, these were like a hodgepodge collection of fishermen and scandalous government sellouts and zealots that were considered terrorists by the Roman government, and some nice guys that were just all mixing the, mixed together. And I don't know what you imagine when you think of the disciples, but these were guys that were probably in their teens or early 20s. These were, kid, these were basically kids. They were basically, they looked like me, except younger looking. They were young looking people. And uh, they didn't look like me in terms of, you know, I was making a joke about how young I look, but it didn't go over well. Uh, because I'm older now. Yeah, I'm older. Anyway, so basically, these guys were in their teens. They're in their 20s. And they were like, 
you know, if you can imagine, like, young, raw talent. Like, they were like Matt Damon's character in Goodwill Hunting, except getting all the problems right on the, on the chalkboard late at night, they would get all the problems wrong. And the history of the Gospels is showing that, like, the disciples nearly got it wrong all the time. And this is one of those examples. They didn't understand it. So when Jesus invited these young Jewish guys to, you know, be disciples, they start seeing miracles, they start seeing this really cool stuff, and they start to wonder what this new ranking system is going to be. If it's not the traditional religious people, uh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be when they died and went to heaven? And what's the system when God establishes his new rule on earth? And they're asking, Jesus, who's going to be number one? Who's number one? Who's the best Christian ever? Is it going to be me, Jesus? Is it me, Jesus? Who's it going to be? So that's assumption number one. Assumption number two, the disciples believe that there are things that we can do that help us look better in God's eyes, that help us look more favorable in God's eyes. And so Jesus recognizes that they want to know who is the greatest and so that they can start doing things that make them look good, right? Jesus, how many miracles do I need to perform for me to look good in your eyes? Jesus, how much... How much fish and bread do we need to multiply? How much bread needs to be multiplied? God, how much, Jesus, how many times do, do we need to multiply loaves and fishes? Do we need to turn it into a bakery, God? Do we need to actually regularly produce bread and have it become a pick two at Panera? What do we, how many miracles do we actually need, God, for you to actually think that we're number one? How much do we have to do? What do we have to do? We need to know. We need to know what the rules are. How much growth and success do we actually need to see to be number one in your kingdom? And the third assumption, the disciples assumed that there's obviously people who are greater, who are better than other people, and that the disciples pretty much had a good idea and understanding of who those people were and who those people who were not the best. Jesus. We all know who the important people are. We all get it. Jesus, we all understand politically what's going on here. We're the people who vote for the right people. We read the right books. We're around the right theologians. We're around, we say, drop the right religious ideas at just the right time. So Jesus, since we're in the know, since we know all the basics, we're obviously in. We're some of your disciples. We're your posse. Let us in, bro. Give us the inside track on what we need to be number one. Level with us. We're your boys. Come on, level with us, JC. So Jesus, instead of doing what he thinks they're going to, what he, instead of doing what, you know, the obvious, uh, he turns it upside down, and he says that they need to become like little children if they want to be the greatest. Now, why would he say that they need to be like little kids? Why would he need to say that they be, need to become like little children? Well, Jesus wants to get into their minds that God is different than what they imagine. He's different. He's different than what they think. You see, God, he doesn't offer rewards based on merits. He doesn't do it on some merit system, some secret merit system. God loves and rewards the weakest, the most vulnerable the least significant human being that you can think of. And so in this story, you could have used any examples. Jesus could have used any examples. 
you know, what is, it, what is it like to be in your kingdom, Jesus? He could have said anything. He could have talked about, you know, you know, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you need to become an infectious disease expert and save millions of lives. He could have said, listen, you need to become uh, a CEO of a corporation where you figure out compassion and profit and fair wages. He could have said, you need to be the inventor of the electric car. Uh, or he could have even said, you know, you need to be a TikTok star that really uses their platform for, to bring attention to social issues. He could have said any of that, but he didn't. He didn't do anything. He didn't talk about being, you know, some sort of influencer. He didn't talk about being some inventor, some really, really smart person. He used children as his example. He could have done anything. He used kids. And some scholars even suggest that in this moment, when he brought the little child, he actually brought up a little girl. He actually brought up a little girl when he made this illustration. He's making this point that God's kingdom, what's happening now and in the future, when the future time, when heaven rules on earth, it's not going to be about the survival of the fittest. It's not going to be about the fastest or the smartest or the angriest or the loudest of all the people to push ahead to the front of the line. It's not about that. So who's number one? Who will sit on the throne next to Jesus? Well, it's not you. You're all winners. You're all winners for the most part. Most of you are winners. You know, most of us do really well. And Jesus says, the greatest among, yous, among you is like this little girl, this little kid. Who's the best? It's someone who's vulnerable, someone unsure of herself, trusting but with clear eyes, ready to listen, ready to be loved and to love other people, to learn and to grow. She doesn't care who's rich. She doesn't care who's powerful. She loves those around her because that's just who she is. This is what true greatness is like. Go and do that, Jesus says. Go and imitate that. You know, some of us have been taught that we need to perform in order for God to love us, that we need to be sharper, uh, even in this city, that we need to be sharper than the next guy or girl. We need to be smarter. We need to work harder. We need to push. And you know what? I get it. You live in Los Angeles. Competitive edge is a real thing. That's not going away anytime soon. And yes, that can be very helpful in your chosen career. I get that. It's very helpful in the secular world. But we need to remember that the secular world, the world out there, sees things differently than the way Jesus sees things. And what we need to understand is that we don't need to offer anything to God for God to love us. There is no ranking system that these disciples had that worked for them, and there's no ranking system that works for us. As much as we like to think that there is, there just isn't. That's not the way this thing works. That's not what we're building at Pax City. And I know some of you, you're here in this field. You may think that this is for people, what I've just shared with you, you may think that this is for people that don't know Jesus. You may be thinking, I'm talking to someone that's like, you know, they've never been to church, and man, I'm really praying for Pastor Chris right now that this speaks to someone that's never given their life to Jesus. They're decidedly not a Christian. And you believe that since you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that what I'm saying the last 10 minutes, last five minutes, however long I've been talking, uh, you know, this does not apply to you. It's for people who are not Christians. Well, guess what? If you're thinking that way, I hate to break it to you, you're wrong. This was a discussion between Jesus and his 12 closest followers. It's the people that were closest to him that he goes, ah, 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 I don't think you, you got this right. 
I think you're missing something. It was Jesus was having a family discussion with the disciples who were closest to him. And this may be a hard truth for you to consider if you call yourself a Christian. Sometimes Christians, myself included, and you, and I know some of you, uh, we mimic the ways of the world instead of mimicking the ways of Jesus. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, like I do, I have to ask you a personal question. And this should be a relief. Do you need to come to the place in your walk with God where you're allowing the Holy Spirit to redirect you, to relate to you differently? You see, God invites you into simplicity, and God invites you into obedience. And he doesn't invite you into some sort of struggle where you have to strive to achieve goals to make yourself or others happy. And it's certainly not to make God happy. You can't achieve his, his acceptance by what you do. And I think that some of us who call ourselves Jesus followers need to recalibrate and take on the faith of a child. There's a simplicity in Jesus' view of how we can relate to him. And we, this is how we do it. We say, God, I'm striving too hard. I'm pushing too hard. God, I'm trying to make something happen in my life because I think that I need that from you or whatever it is. And God, I want to move towards humility. I want to trust like a child. And when we pray that prayer, we're actually more aligned with the kind of life that God wants us to live. It's a simple faith where we trust like a child. We don't have to earn it. Are, are you, are, is anyone with me? Are we, are we here? Okay, are we with me? Okay, good. Excellent. You know, and, I, and I'll just say this before I move on. You, you know, it's, it's in those moments where we go, you know, God, I, I want to have a simple faith where I trust you. I don't want to have to try to feel like I'm earning something. I don't want to be on that treadmill, that rat race. That's when the power of the Spirit supernaturally begins to come into our life when we acknowledge that we actually don't have what it takes. I don't care how smart or awesome or beautiful you are. You don't have what it takes. And Jesus wants to be there and step in that gap and be there for us in our inability to make it happen. So if you want to see more stuff, maybe it's coming to the end of yourself first. Okay, I need to transition. Um, Jesus provides this crystal clear picture about who God cares about. And he uses kids to illustrate that's who he, he actually does care about children and he also uses kids to illustrate that that's the kind of faith we need to have okay we're clear on that right i'm going to move on from that are we clear on that okay all right so but jesus he goes beyond who he goes beyond the who and he shows us how much he cares about us look at verse 12 what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. You see, God's not happy about us saying, hey, well, at least we got 99. We don't need to worry about that odd, silly little one that drifts off. It's not even, probably even worth that much. You see, we not only get a picture of like what kind of faith we can have, the childlike faith, but we get a sense that God cares not just about the majority. He cares about the other. 
He cares about the other. God's love is in the details. And you know what? Like, you get this impression that God, you know, and even in the form of Jesus, like, he's looking around the room and he's trying to figure out who else belongs in the room. Who else should be here at the party? It's not just for us. There's that other person. Man, I really wish that other person was here. See, God's love goes on even when our love stops. It never stops. It never gives up. It never cancels on us. It never ghosts us. It never withholds. It never deceives. God's heart is for the other. And you know, there's some of us who may be here today, and you, I've just read those verses, you feel like the one. You feel like that one sheep that has wandered off. And I got to tell you, from the bottom of my heart and from the bottom of what I understand to be God's heart, that that God, there is a God who loves you, that he is for you, that he has died on your, in your place and rose from the dead. He's welcoming you. Like I said, his heart is for you. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. You can't lose him. You can't get rid of him. You, he's thinking about you, and he invites you into relationship. And I don't know how many times I have to say that, but it's true that if you feel lost, there is someone who is there who is in your corner, and his name is Jesus. He is the one who's there for you. Now, some of you seem like Christians, so I need to say this. And for those of you who feel like you're in the 99, you're one of those 99 sheep, you have a choice. In fact, you have like three choices. So the one who's wandered off, you've, you've decided, let's just, for instance, you've decided to stay put on the side of the field. You know, Option number one, here's your choice. When, the, when God the Father is off helping the one, you can stay with the other sheep and you can complain about why he's so nice. You can be upset. You can choose to be, well, why does he care about the one? And then you could say to yourself, that, you know, like, and, you know, when, when God is caring and he says, you know what, that one sheep's life matters, you can stay with other 99 and you can be mad about that. You can say, that sheep lives matter. That's a particular sheep. Shouldn't all sheep's lives matter? Shouldn't all sheep's lives matter in this situation? Well, you, you can say that. Yeah, well, you know, you know, all sheep's lives matter. But I think you're missing the point. It's that one sheep that matters. So you can be bitter. You can be cynical that God cares on that level. Option number two, you can do like the man did in this story. Um, man finds sheep on the side of the hill. He brings him back, and he celebrates. He celebrates. You can be the kind of person that celebrates. You can be excited. Then he finds the sheep. Or you can be number three, which is a combination of celebrating, finding that sheep. And you could say to yourself, hey, you know what? Maybe, like, we're getting a picture here that maybe we're supposed to do the things that Jesus does. <laughs> like, maybe... Maybe when Jesus shares his story about how he goes after the, uh, leaves the 99 and goes after them, maybe like, that's like a cue that that's what God would want us to do. That we would, we would be like, you know, like, hey, God, how do you become the greatest? Well, let me tell you a story about how I leave the 99 and go after the one. You know what, other disciples, it's starting to dawn on us that maybe that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go and take care of and bless the one. We're supposed to look for the one that's in need. And so you would say, you know what, option number three for you is you can celebrate 
and you can join up with what God is doing to care and look out for the one. And if you're only, let me just say, if you're only about number one, if all sheep's lives matter and you don't care about the one sheep that we need to take care of, there's not much I can do for you for the next two minutes. But if you're all about celebrating your number two, that's right, keep up the good work, let's celebrate together. But if you're about number three and you're asking, you know, God, how can I help? How can I get in the game? How can I imitate the way you care for people and the way I can care for people at work, in my neighborhood, people that sit in this field that I don't know? How do I do that? Well, let me say, I want to provide one thing for you, and then we're going to, and then we're going to wrap up. Um, what if we took the strategizing, what if we took the analytical parts of our brain for this exercise, and we tried not to just come up with a bunch of ideas? What if it was just our job to join up with the work that God is already doing? You know, what if we were to apply this in such a simple way that even a child could do it? Wouldn't that be interesting? So here's what I'm proposing. What if we were to do something? What if we were to pray for divine appointments for 30 days? And I'll round up. We'll go to the end of October 31st. Like, what if you were to pray for 30 seconds every day? Now, I know 30 seconds is very precious. We're all very busy people. But what if you took 30 seconds at the start of your day? What if you took 30 seconds at the start of your day and you prayed God, will you create a divine appointment for me today? Like what if, like what if we took out our phones right now? And like what if we like open it? Like we just swipe up? And like, you know, what if we just went to our calendar? And what if we sent, set up a recurring meeting at like whenever you, I mean, if you're, uh, if you're uh, in uh, show business, you get up at like 1130 or whatever you get up, you're waiting for the next gig. And you know, like you say, 11, whenever you wake up and you just set like a recurring appointment every day and you would say, God, can I have a divine appointment today? Can you create an opportunity? God, will you create opportunities I wasn't expecting, that I didn't plan for, that I wasn't considering, that seem providential, that seem a little too coincidental? And you would set up these things to bless and to encourage and to care for people, not to preach, not to like beat them over the head or shove a Bible in their face and like, you need to learn the Romans. Maybe not that, maybe not that on the first time, but there would be divine appointments that would happen for you. And what if we would do this between now and October 31st? What do you think we would see? Well, first of all, I wonder if praying this prayer every single day, I think it would start to change our hearts. Yeah, it might change some people, but it might actually change our hearts. I wonder if our hearts would become more concerned with the things that concern God. And I wonder if maybe like after a month of praying that prayer for 30 seconds every day, and if you're like, you know, really great, maybe you go 60, 60 seconds. I wonder if you were to pray that prayer, if you would begin to develop compassion for people that you didn't have compassion for prior. I wonder if we would see more coincidences. I wonder if, you know, if we start to pray this prayer, I wonder if we would find ourselves being bolder, taking more risks to maybe pray for somebody, maybe someone we don't even know. And I wonder, I wonder if God would providentially place us in a moment where we get to help someone. Maybe there's someone this month that has a suicide planned and you would step into the gap and you would help them find the help that they need. 
Or maybe that by some sort of divine appointment, you would find yourself connecting with someone who is in a toxic relationship and that you would be there at the right time to say the right thing and help them through the toxic relationship. Maybe someone is in an abusive relationship and you would find yourself at the right place at the right time. Maybe someone who has experienced terrible things that have happened to them in the past, but somehow you would be at the right place in the right time and that you would bring God's healing touch to their lives. I wonder, I wonder if God might actually start a new vision for some of us in this church where we begin to serve people who are marginalized like children maybe people that have experienced marginalization people that are on the spectrum people who are suffering children who are suffering from divorce or those kids that just don't have it all together i wonder if god would give us new burdens and i just i wonder i wonder I wonder if we were to pray that prayer. I wonder if we were to take on the attitude that God has for people. I wonder if we would see one more of the 99 come back into life with him, that they would experience healing and wholeness from Jesus. And you see, we just don't know. You just don't know what God might want to do through you. You don't know. You don't know. And neither do I. But I want to be the kind of person that tests that. Like, what if, I, what, what, if, what if all it took is us to just, like, pray? Say, God, like, will you create a divine appointment for me today? Would we do it? And I don't know. I don't know what happens. Sometimes I think things happen. Sometimes it takes a few days and then it kicks in. But I do know that the more we pray specific prayers, the more we see coincidences. It's funny how that works at church. The more we pray in a specific way, there's more, I've seen more coincidences. I've been, I've been able to help people in a more a coincidental way. So I want to leave you with that. You know, let's not, let's not lose this. Let's be the kind of people who never forget God's relentless love for us. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done, it's but what he has done. And let's chase after childlike faith. Let's have simplicity in our faith. And let's celebrate that Jesus goes after the one. And let's join up with God's heart and care for the one and ask him for divine appointments. So um, would you be open to that? Would you be open to that? Okay, now, um, I'm going to ask everyone, because I want it to be anonymous, all right? But I want, here's what I want to do. So for anyone who's interested, why don't you get out your phone? We're going to do this together right now. Now, if you don't want to do it, just pretend get out your phone. Now, if you don't have a phone, wow, I'd love to meet you. Um, you know, so get out your phone, and then just like for Monday, the 27th, I'm going to put mine at 8 a.m. I'm going to press the button, and I'm going to write, uh, pray for divine appointment. That's what I'm going to write. Pray for divine appointment. Now, if you don't want to do it, go ahead and play your game, whatever you're doing. Text back your mom. She loves you. She loves you. She loves you. Just text her back. You know, just let her know. Yeah. Pray for divine appointment. And then if you go down to repeat, okay, I, it looks like I can do this. I can select mine for every day, and then I'm going to add it. So I'm praying for a divine appointment every day. I hope that you pray it too because you never know. And my hope would be that out of this field, stories would start to emerge. So do it. Do it for a month. All you're asking for is like, God, I need you to show up and create an appointment for me to bless and care for someone. And then we'll see what happens. And as those stories happen, I would love to hear about them. I would love to hear what God does with you. I would love to hear how you stood in the gap and changed someone's life. So um, 
are we in this together somewhat? Do it. Can I get some sort of feedback? All right, great. Why don't we all stand? All right, cool. Let's let's uh, let's worship together one more time.